With us today again are Emily Kroll and Anna Visser. No titles, very informal this week. Took us a couple tries to get going. It's casual Friday, Friday. summer. Okay, today we're going to talk about a couple things. We're going to talk about Planned Parenthood and bodily autonomy. We're going to talk about a case in Flint. We're going to talk about a case out of St. Louis. But let's start with talking with uh, about the Hyde Amendment in the U.S. Senate and a victory, sort of. So uh, just to set the table, it was very late one night, a couple nights ago, and a couple of pro-life groups were tweeting out, the Hyde Amendment has been saved because uh, the Senate held a vote on the uh, total amount that they were going to use for the budget. So how the budget process works these days is... The Senate and the House will have votes on this is the amount we're going to have for the budget. And then they'll go through each individual uh, department and vote on all those. So there's plenty of votes yet to go. But in the first top line, this is the amount that we're going to set for the budget. The U.S. Senate voted 50 to 49 to include the Hyde Amendment in the budget, which is great. And that is Joe Manchin, a Democratic senator from West Virginia, holding strong. However, saying Emily and Anna, the Hyde Amendment has been saved is a little premature. Yes, it is. We still have to see what the House says about it. And the final vote in the Senate. And then the high, final vote in the House and the Senate. Yes, and then... So we have, that's one, two, three. So there's at least four more votes. We've, three, got, we've four, got a few months three, to go. Three, yeah. yeah, weeks, right? So they're not going to... They're, they're not going to go, the Senate's not going to go through the budget, the department budgets. So the real key is the uh, Department of Health and Human Services budget needs to have the Hyde Amendment and the Weldon Amendment and and Kemp Kasten and, and the, the 400 other pro-life amendments that are always in there. Um, and they still have to do that. And Joe Manchin still has to hold. And it would be nice, you know, if those two other Democratic senators who claim to support the Hyde Amendment, Tim <laughs> Kaine and um, Bob, Bob Casey. Casey, son of the real pro-life Democrat, <laughs> We Bob were talking Casey. about how everyone was very angry with him, and we were saying, your dad's probably so disappointed in you and how you voted. Uh, Pennsylvania's not being kind to him on his vote, which is good because he had written the week before the vote, to his supporters, that he was going to support the Hyde Amendment, that he was pro-life, and then the vote was, what, 11 o'clock on Tuesday night, and he caved to the pressure. So hopefully he will redeem himself, but if he does not, Pennsylvania is not very happy with their senator right now. Tuesday night, thank you. I've been out of power, so I have no idea what time it is. Out of power, yeah. I do know it's casual Friday. That was the important thing. <laughs> yeah, the, the vote on the pro-life amendments took place Tuesday night between about 10.30 and 12.45 a.m. Mm -hmm. The budget, the preliminary budget was approved at 4 o'clock in the morning on Wednesday. So they had an all-night, 14-hour-long marathon amendment process. Um... They're no longer burning the midnight oil, 
um, as it were, because they're not burning oil. But we'll have to ask OPEC night. for more midnight oil. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Okay, that's not our topic. Too soon. Moving on. Too soon. Moving on. That's not our topic. Um, uh, so we, of course, have our part tool where we're asking people to contact Congress. We have been asking people to contact uh, the House because the House voted a couple weeks ago, uh, or days ago, rather, and did not include the Hyde Amendment. Now the Senate did, so we're going to be switching it up and asking you to also contact your senators. Of course, Stabenow, Debbie Stabenow and Gary Peters voted against including the Hyde Amendment because they do believe that you should be forced to pay for abortions with your tax dollars. Very unfortunate. And if you're listening and you think to yourself, well... Debbie Stabenow and Gary Peters, they aren't going to be swayed by my comments. You might as well annoy them while you're at it. Yeah. Exactly. And Joe Manchin is listening and hearing everything. And if you give Joe Manchin an excuse to not be courageous, True. he might take it. Like, what if they're all meeting together for lunch, as the parties do in the Senate, and... Yeah. Senators Stabenow and Peters just go off on this rant of how so many people in Michigan are contacting them and talking about the Hyde Amendment and how they wish they would just stop. Um, you know, Manchin and and Casey might hear that and be like, "Oh, we better, we better make the right decision because we don't want that to happen to us." We've got to protect our phony baloney jobs, gentlemen. <laughs> so. I mean, and really, we we often forget that the senators and, and the representatives do talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if they are annoyed, as Anna said, um, they they might change their mind, or it might end up changing the mind of one of their one of their colleagues. Right. So, um, phone calls matter. Right. And it's not just changing votes, but confidence. You know, if we get into a budget shutdown fight where the Senate budget has the Hyde Amendment and the House doesn't. And Nancy Pelosi says, shut it down, you know, how much enthusiasm are they going to have to do that? So confidence in sports is everything, I would say. And I would say for legislation, confidence is everything. You want to know why sometimes even pro-life Republicans fold like a cheap deck of cards? (laughs) They don't have the confidence to stand. So uh, confidence matters, and you contacting your Congress persons, senators, representatives, the janitors on Capitol Hill there. Anybody matters. Uh, Okay, let's move on to uh, St. Louis, Missouri, Missouri. So, a hospital uh, was accused of trying to, a doctor there, trying to talk a woman into having an abortion. Big problem because the hospital, and what was the name of the hospital again? Uh, let me find it. It's St. Mary's and Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital. As one might can guess from the name, it's a Catholic hospital. Yes, it and is. I don't think that was the only Catholic hospital in that area that was referring women to abortions. It's part of the SSM hospitals system. Yeah, there's a couple different locations, and I think this hospital was. Like, there was record of them referring, like, two or three ladies. And then the other reports were from different Catholic hospitals in the area. So there's a lot of these 
big conglomerations and mergers and buyouts of all these hospitals. And, you know, nominally, a Catholic hospital shouldn't be doing that. And they right, say, Anna? <laughs> right, and they they signed that they follow this code of ethics. I forget the whole long name of it, but basically they're going to follow the Catholic teachings. And clearly they did not. Doesn't always happen. No, it does not. So what we know about this because some sidewalk counselors outside of um, the Hope Clinic, which is a funny name for an abortion clinic, um, but they were talking. Really? That's the name of it, the It's okay. called the Hope Clinic. Yeah. Okay. Go figure. Um, they started about counselors and started conversations with women, and they started having these women telling them, yeah, we were referred here by the hospital. And so, you know, which hospital? And it started with two or three women mentioned they had been referred by this Catholic hospital, and then it got up to about 18 women who had mentioned that they were referred there by the hospital. And so, um, and it was always women that their babies had some sort of disability, and they were f- pretty mm-hmm. far along in their pregnancy that these doctors were like, "Well, I'm going to refer you to an abortion." That happens so often with uh, parents with disabilities. So, but just kind of quick, I want to interject. You know, sometimes people listen to the pro life movement or pro life organizations make sometimes seemingly outlandish claims like. How do you know that? How do you know that women are coerced to have abortions? There's no studies and blah, blah, blah. And, well, we have sidewalk counselors in front of almost every abortion facility in the United States as a pro-life movement. And these women, they talk even after they have abortions sometimes, or if they don't have abortions, they talk to the sidewalk counselors. So we know what's going on. Well, and the sidewalk counselors actually records these interactions with these women to have it on record that they did get referred by these Catholic right. hospitals. And I don't even think, they went as far as to not only refer them, but to kind of bully them. I think one mm-hmm. of the ladies said that when she said, no, I'm not doing that, I talked to the sidewalk counselor and he got me set up with this doctor that's going to help me through my child's disabilities because she went back to the hospital to get an ultrasound and the nurses and the doctors were like chasing her out of her room and following her in the hallway saying, no, you really should get an abortion. So it's not just referring, it's kind of bullying them into doing it. Yeah, that same woman, um, they went back to St. Mary's Hospital where this went down and prompted an internal investigation. And what they found is that the hospital had actually falsified her records to Mm -hmm. say that she was going to schedule an appointment abortion appointment at the Hope Clinic. So not only was she pressured, not only was she bullied, but the records were falsified. Um, and so it, it really is just one of those things where we have to constantly be reminded that just because an organization says they're pro-life, it doesn't mean that all the people working for that organization are pro-life, um, especially with hospitals. Here in Michigan, there are hospitals that will perform abortions. Uh, The only hospital in our state that advertises that they perform abortions is the University of Michigan. But last year, there were 180 abortions in hospital facilities in Michigan. And we don't know which hospitals those were in. And so there's always always ways that abortion is going to sneak in there, whether it's the doctors referring for abortions or a doctor from outside the hospital using the facilities to perform an abortion. 
And so we just need to, we need to be careful and we need to, to follow the sources. And, and if you hear something that sounds crazy, like a Catholic hospital pressuring women to get abortions, don't just dismiss it out of hand um, because there is evidence that says that some will. Personnel is policy. Yes, and if it your is. personnel isn't on board with your mission, then you might find yourself as an organization in trouble when your personnel are working against your mission, which of course is should be of a Catholic should be of any hospital and any doctor is save lives, protect lives, preserve lives, treat patients, don't yank them apart with forceps. Well, uh, let's move on to our next topic because we were talking about abortion coercion. Uh, so there was a case out of Flint, Emily, and, and you read it more of it than I did probably. So do you want to tell all the people about that? Yes. So Flint, Michigan, in 2018, uh, there was a young woman who found herself pregnant and her boyfriend was not supportive of her or the unborn child. He asked her to get an abortion. She scheduled the appointment, but couldn't go through with it. And she knew that her boyfriend was going to be very angry, that she did not abort the baby. And so she kept the pregnancy hidden for as long as she could until she started showing and had to finally admit to her boyfriend that she did not go through with the abortion. I think the, the news article that I read says she was about 27 weeks when he found out that she was still pregnant. Um, as you can probably imagine, uh, in this situation, since he was so adamant about the abortion in the first place and she spent so long hiding it, he got violent um, and tried to take matters into his own hands, threatened her life, um, beat her several times trying to make her um, miscarry. Then he said he was going to kill the baby once it was born. She was able to record one of the, the second time that he physically abused her and was able to get that evidence to the police. And earlier this month, he was found guilty of 10 counts of assault and he will get sentenced on the 13th of September. So hopefully he will be spending a very long time in prison and mother and baby are both healthy and safe. Um, but it's just another example of coerced abortions. What do we mean when we talk about coerced abortions? Um, some studies have found that as high as 68% of women uh, are co coerced in some way to get the abortion that they're in the facilities to get. We know sometimes it can be parents and grandparents saying, your life is going to be ruined, you're never going to make it through school, all of these different reasons and really pressure women that way to get abortions, but we also have instances like this one out of Flint where it's not just coercion, it is abuse and violence and attempted murder because people want her to get that abortion. Do you know what I wonder? I wonder if there was ever going to be a point in that guy's life where he was happy if she ever got pregnant because he pointed a gun at her and was like, I'm going to kill you because I'm so angry that we're going to have a baby. So I wonder if that's just how he was going to be for the rest of their lives or if at one point he was going to get to the point where he's like, I want to be a dad now. I'm going to be so happy that if you get pregnant. Like, it's just crazy to me that people think that their world is ending and that they need to 
they're so angry that they need to kill someone when they find out that they're having a baby. <laughs> it is hard to even imagine. It, it is, because of two weeks, I'm having a, we're having a baby, and it is number four, and it is not, will not be the end of the world. Right. Like It may be the end of eight hours of sleep for a while, but, you know, I mean, maybe life he, goes on. Maybe he didn't want a kid, but I just, mm. he's so mad that he was going to kill her, you know? It's, it's hard to go through the mindset, but when people, and this is the whole abortion mindset, that... Why, you know, women choose abortion in, in most cases is in, in, in their thinking is my life is over. My life, how I wanted it, is over. And I guess then, depending on your level of who you are as a person, I mean, maybe you'd be willing to kill people in other circumstances too if push comes to shove. So, um, yeah, people think that this new life is somehow the end of theirs. I guess, you know, in a way it is, you know. When you are a parent, it is the end of your old life as it is. But, you know, maybe you should be open to the fact that uh, your old life isn't as fulfilling as your new life might be. Um, well, I just wanted to say, though, you know, gals, that uh, abortion coercion is a myth. Oh. So I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know where you heard that, but yeah, it, it is funny how so many pro-abortion activists, and there's really no other word for it, um, for people who have their heads so far down in the sand that they believe that it's a myth that women are coerced to get abortion, when they're probably the people coercing women to get abortion in the first place. So it's very fascinating. So, Emily... Yes. Who's been following news for a few years now. I've been following Anna's for a couple months now. Uh, I've been following news very closely for more than a decade now. Have any of you in any circumstance ever seen a pro-abortion organization post something? Now, about one of these cases. I think the first time ever was a couple days ago when the British, one of the British abortion facilities actually said this new uh, policy in Britain that stops, you know, tax credits or whatever after two kids is basically coercing a bunch of women into having yeah, an abortion. that was shocking. It was shocking they did that because in, in, in all my time, these organizations that at least they used to stand on choice and today they say... Bodily autonomy is the most important thing on planet Earth. If they're so big into choice, if they're so big into autonomy, and if that is their focus, why do they never look at these cases and agree with us and post about it and say that's terrible or do anything about this fact that abortion coercion is so common? It's the same reason they're never going to... I mean, I know the answer. This is, I'm rhetorically it's, asking, I mean, but... But it's the same reason they're never going to post all of the studies of women who have been sex trafficked in the United States and how often they have the pimps take them in for abortion procedures. Um, the Beasley Institute study that they interviewed a bunch of women, a group of women who had been rescued from sex trafficking and found that they had had upwards of 10, 11, 12, sometimes 13 or 14 abortions at abortion clinics that the workers knew that they were being trafficked and did nothing. 
So if you really care about women, if you really care about women's bodies, about women's choice, about women's future, then you're not going to sweep these things under the rug. And that's how you know that they're not genuine about what they're saying because well, yeah, they, they don't care, care about money. Yeah. Do you think, obviously, you know, some people switch from the abortion industry and become pro-life, so some do, but... You think your average, like, say, receptionist at a Planned Parenthood or, you know, the clinic escorts that try to go out and stop the women from talking to the sidewalk counselors, do you think they see a story like this out of Flint and feel any guilt or remorse or even, like, the thought that how many times have I facilitated this happening in this facility and maybe I don't even know about it because we just didn't even care to ask. I don't think that they ever think about that because to them, they're going to think that this boyfriend killing or trying to kill like the mom and the baby is horrible because she wanted the baby. But to someone that didn't want the baby, they're going to be like, oh yeah, go you, like you're doing the right thing. Yeah, they, 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 are they, I mean, are they so incapable of judgment that they don't even... Does it even enter their mind, I wonder? Some, it does, and the day that happens, they end up walking away from the abortion industry. But, I mean, it's the same thing, the receptionists and everything that were working in Germany in the 1930s. They were working at the facilities where people were being killed, and they just did not process it. The banality of evil. There it is. Well, along those lines and bodily autonomy and people at Planned Parenthood. So this morning I, I was checking uh, Planned Parenthood Advocates of Michigan's Facebook page, as I sometimes do. Important to see what, uh, what the other side is saying and thinking. And I'm scrolling down through their page and seeing their posts, and I see this one. Um, pregnancy, this is their post. Pregnancy does not make your body public property. Your body is your own, and you should get to make decisions about pregnancy without interference from anti-abortion politicians. Okay. Bodily autonomy, right? The post right below it is about, you know, the new Delta variant means it's more important than ever to get vaccinated, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And we're in a situation now where people are in certain locales or being you know, saying if you don't get a vaccine, you can't go to the grocery store, you know, um, you can't, you're going to be fired. I would say that's interference from politicians in your body, right? So if your body is your, so, you know, now, now Right to Life of Michigan is not going to tell you to take the vaccine or don't take the vaccine. We're going to say if you have an ethical objection to the coronavirus vaccine because it was uh, produced or at some point in the research process, uh, tissue from aborted babies was used and you have an ethical objection. We're gonna defend your right to ethically object. But it, if you believe that your body is your own, it's sacred, nothing about your body is quote unquote, to Planned Parenthood Advocates of Michigan, public property and no politicians can interfere how then can you believe that just to save one life that politicians can interfere and force you to put something into your body versus, you know. The brain exercises they... 
<laughs> like my brain does not wrap around that concept because you have they're mutually exclusive. You cannot say my body my choice, but your body is not your choice. It just doesn't work that way. I mean, I suppose if you want to make fun of pro-lifers and say, well, you're totally for forcing women to do this, you know, to save one life. Why aren't you for forcing people to get the vaccines to save one life? Like, well, you know, I mean, I would argue against that, but like, okay, but then don't you like recognize the flip side of that, that you're totally okay with telling people that it's okay to kill another human being, to not inconvenience your body, but... On the other hand, you're going to force people to inconvenience themselves to save it. Like, if you want to make that argument about pro-lifers, can't you recognize the utter hypocrisy of your position on the other side? No, of course you can't. It is... Not for a second, I guess. It's... Dude, now here, do they... Do they register this cognitive dissonance? Or do they just... They don't even, like... Their brain doesn't stop to process it for a minute. It's just... Right on to the party line. Critical thinking is not in the skill set of a lot of people these days. The ability to look at what you are saying and to follow your beliefs and your logic to their conclusions is not something that people like to do because it is uncomfortable. So you like just, to be told yeah. what to think. Yeah. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to think. Then I don't have to do any self-reflection. I don't have to listen to my conscience and I can just go about my life doing whatever I want on my merry way. And, um, which again, contradicts the whole forcing people to get vaccinations because you are then not letting people live their life the way they want to live it. So it's just, it's a it's a quagmire. It is quicksand. Um, and it's just, it's fascinating to kind of watch and look at, especially Planned Parenthood's of Michigan's social media posts. Um, they do, and I think a lot of the push behind this is they do give out COVID vaccines at their clinics. They're one of the government's partners. In, in getting COVID vaccinations out there. So again, we're getting back to money because they're getting mm -hmm. money kickbacks from the state. So the more people they vaccinate, the more money they get. Just like the more abortions they perform, the more money they get. So really it just comes back to, it comes back to money in the end with them. So you're saying the Supreme Court should overturn, not only overturn Roe versus Wade, well, it should just overturn Roe versus Wade using a precedent from say, a hundred years ago that, you know, uh, the state can, using its police powers, mandatorily force people to be vaccinated, right? Because if the state can force people as a public health measure to save lives, can't they, you can't really force someone to be pregnant. Can they just tell people don't, don't do something? You know, they're saying we can, we should affirmatively force you to do something against your will to take an action. You know, uh, a pregnant woman, really, you're not asking her to take an action. You're just asking her to remain... To follow... Remain in this state for... I mean, we're, we're kind of... To go to the conclusion of the action she we're, already We're overthinking took. this because they're not thinking this at yeah. all. So really, really don't need to overthink this analogy. Um, yeah. Well, do you think they'll ever... They're Some of them do. 
We should mention, you know, there, there are plenty of people in the pro-life movement who used to uh, support abortion or used to work for the abortion industry, used to be abortionists, you know. At some point, the cognitive dissonance becomes too much for them, and they leave. Welcome to the bright side. Like Dr. Anthony Levitino said, I've you know, performed a couple hundred abortions, and one day he was looking at the body parts of this child he was assembling back together, and he said to himself, this is someone's son or daughter. Why took, am I here? It took him losing a child to realize that. Yeah. All right. Anything else before we go? Oh, our our feature next week? Ah, yes. So tune in next week. So we're going to have a feature on the Hyde Amendment. So obviously we've been talking about it, but we're going to go into a little bit more detail. What's the history? You know, how can we say that it saved, you know, 2 million lives? Or how can we say in Michigan it's... It's our state-level version of that, saved 250,000 lives. You know, who the heck is Henry Hyde? Why does it have this name? Um, and why isn't it a law? Why do we have to fight about this every year now? Um, and what can we do about that? So tune in next week for that, and we'll give you all those details. Hope you all have electrical power going into this weekend. I know it's not been comfortable temperature-wise. Usually I say enjoy your weekend. I hope you really can this time. Uh, I was with you there for a couple of days. It was not good. So not good. Not good. Thanks for listening and have a good powered weekend.